Uh, Exodus is a great book uh, for us to start studying this term. We're starting a new series called uh, Faithful, uh, God Remembers, uh, He Remembers. I just want to run through a few kind of overarching themes so that as we kind of enter into this preaching series, uh, we'll get ourselves uh, mentally prepared for that. Uh, Exodus uh, itself, the name itself is from the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible. Uh, it really it just means exit or depart uh, or being brought out. Uh, and I think that it's a great way to think about who God's people are, the church. Uh, we are the people that God has been, that has been brought out from the world. God rescued us from the world. Uh, so even here, we think of uh, the application of where we are going in this series. Uh, this series is speaking to us as the church because we are the people that God has brought out. Uh, the book itself can be divided. This is the, um, the whole book. Uh, we're just preaching on the first part, but the book itself has got two main kind of halves. The first half really is from Egypt. Right? We begin the story with the God's people in Egypt all the way to about Mount Sinai, about chapter 19, 20, where they met God. And then after that, the book is about the covenant, God giving Israel uh, his law about how they're meant to live, how they're meant to treat one another, and about worship, how they are meant to worship God. Uh, and so that two half is essentially part of a bigger picture because that's what uh, Exodus is located. Exodus is located part of the first mini collection of the Bible, what we call the Pentateuch, first five books, uh, from Genesis, to, uh, Genesis, Exodus, all the way to Deuteronomy. Uh, and again, it's part of a broader movement uh, of the story of God's people. Again, began in Genesis, the creation, uh, and after the fall, God wanted to save mankind, so he, he chose a particular person, Abraham, gave him the promises uh, of land, a nation, uh, and out of Abraham's descendant, God's going to send the Savior. So that's, that's, the, that's where it starts. Uh, and then this group of people find them, found themselves in slavery in Egypt. All right, there was a famine. God through, jo uh, through Joseph brought the family down to Egypt. They were doing well for a while, but things happened very quickly, and they found themselves in slavery, which resulted in God having to intervene very powerfully in history to bring his people out. And then as God saved them, God is a process of God revealing himself to them and giving them the covenant, the law, uh, and the tabernacle. So the tabernacle is just this tent where God, it's a symbol of God's presence with his people. So in the New Testament, uh, in John 1, especially when Jesus, uh, when John said Jesus became flesh and dwell among us, the word dwell is the same word as tabernacle. Uh, so it's a symbol of God's presence. So God promised, God delivers, God promised to be with them, uh, but uh, unfortunately the people continue to wander against God. So they sin very quickly. That's what we're going to see in the book of Exodus. But God persevered, uh, and eventually the first five books of uh, the Bible finishes with them just outside of the promised land as they're about to enter in. So Exodus is right in the center of this book. So it's a really worthwhile book to help us understand both what the big picture of what God promises are as well as the story that unfolds so that it shapes the way Israel understand and worship God later. 
A couple of reasons why we should study and understand this book, apart from, you know, I would say God, Jesus, and the Bible. You know, every time the Sunday school answer is, why do we do something? God, Jesus, or the Bible. All of those are true. God is faithful. That's why we read his word. Jesus, uh, Exodus points to Jesus. That's why it's worthwhile reading Exodus. Uh, and the Bible is trustworthy. But there are other reasons that I think that makes reading Exodus exciting or interesting. Uh, firstly, oops. Uh, the world is still different same, right? You can read Exodus, uh, and it doesn't read like a fantasy novel. I mean, I've, I read a lot of fantasy genre in that sense. Uh, and I know you know what it's like. But when you read the book of Exodus, you know these are real people. It, this is a real world that we're, we're, we're talking about. So uh, it's not very difficult, for example, for us to open up the newspaper uh, and still find regimes that are, are oppressive, for example. Uh, people, one group of people persecuting another group of people, for example. That's still here. Uh, and so we can still relate to the abuse, the hatred, and of course the joy of being delivered. Right? When someone comes and lifts you up out of that slavery, uh, we understand what that feels. So pretty much still the same world uh, today uh, as in Exodus. So when we read Exodus, for example, therefore there's a way where we can enter the text very powerfully. The human heart is still the same. Um, that hasn't changed. Uh, and so reading the story, for example, you come to a character like Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, uh, and there's a sense that, yeah, I recognize, not, he's not just a dictator, uh, someone like Pol Pot uh, or you know, uh, Saddam Hussein, for example. In his, but I reckon there is a little bit of Pharaoh in all of us. Right? Reading the story of Exodus you kind of look at Pharaoh and you go, you do a face palm, right? You go, why do you insist in going against this God? Right? Pharaoh was stubborn. But why? Um, the, the, his country was devastated and yet he was too proud to acknowledge that there is a God and he is not. Uh, Pharaoh's, Pharaoh was all about himself, his power, his need, his kingdom. Uh, he was self-absorbed. Everything was about him. Uh, and so I reckon, yeah, there is a sense that all of us have the potential of becoming a little pharaoh in our own life, uh, in the way that we treat other people. Uh, not just that, but Moses and all the other characters, you know, you get a sense that they're very, very human. Uh, Moses and Aaron, um, and the Israelites especially, yeah, they're God's chosen people, but the human heart is still the same. So even someone like Moses, it's important to recognize that well, he's the hero, he's God's chosen deliverer, a deliverer, but going into the story, you see where Moses struggles with God. Thirdly, uh, one of the reasons why I want to encourage you to read this story is because, again, though they are sinful, fallen human beings, you see courage. And that's what I like about these people, right? It's courage under fire. Uh, it's not an easy time for them as they are going through it. It is a very difficult time. Uh, imagine being oppressed, imagine having your freedom taken away from you, imagine being punished or killed. Uh, it's a difficult time, but yet they, they demonstrate a courage. Uh, yes, they are not perfect in the way that they went about obeying God, but uh, by and large, uh, at the end of the story, we, we saw a different Moses. We saw a Moses that have grown through the process, and we saw a Moses that really is courageous, and so is Aaron. 
And what about Sipra and Pua? Do you know who those are? You know a little bit of the story? Yeah, they are the midwives, right? We didn't read it in our readings, but as Pharaoh went about his plan to eradicate the Hebrews, one of the plans was through the Hebrew midwives. So it's just very convenient. Where you're helping the women, if you see that it's a boy, kill it. Uh, if it's a woman, it's a girl, let it live. And again, it's courageous for these two midwives to stand up against you know, a regime uh, that is your, your lord. You could be killed for that. Uh, and again, you see God working through the situation where God was with them because the, the Hebrew midwives fear God and God blessed them with families. All right, that's courage. Uh, what about Moses' mother and sister? Uh, again, I think it's a very courageous thing that they're doing, especially the sister, uh, going up to the, going up to the, the, uh, the princess and say, oh, by the way, do you want someone to look after her, uh, the baby? I know, I know just the right person who's going to look after this baby. Uh, what if she got found out that it was a scheme, right? You know, it's just all kinds of things. But uh, by the way, it's quite good, isn't getting paid for looking after your own baby. God, as, as it turns out, right, God was watching after them, but they, they were courageous. And finally, the fourth reason why this book, I think it's highly recommended, is the idea of the covenant. Right? Covenant faithfulness of God. It's, another word for he, faithful is covenant. We, which, when we understand the agreement that God has with Abraham, that's a covenant, it's very one-sided. Abraham had no power. No way that he could have uh, an offspring. It was all God's doing. God was faithful. In the same way, we're going to see this pattern uh, emerge in this book. Um, And the reason why that's important is because God's covenant faithfulness shapes how we are meant to treat one another. Right? God's covenant faithfulness is the model for our marriage faithfulness. Uh, That's why we are faithful. That's why we keep our promises. And that's why we pass faith on to the next generation. So as we read the story of Exodus, it's going to come to a point at the high, I think at the climax of the last plague, which is the killing of the, um, the firstborn, you, see, you will see God instituting the Passover. Right? At that point, God said to the Israelites, every year from now on, you are to celebrate the Passover because you will remember what happened in Egypt. Why? It's for the next generation. So that the subsequent generation will know what, who God is and what God has done. So that there is a sense that faith is being passed on. And so what we do here every Sunday is like that. Right? We are passing faith on. Worship is about us gathering together, uh, singing praises to God, telling, reminding one another who God is and what God has done for us. Um, we do this both corporately. We do this through Holiday Club, through our fixed program, uh, but we need to do it at home. Right? We, need to, we need to make sure that we as parents, grandparents, uh, continue to talk about what God has done historically in the past, also in our lives. Right? If we do not model an active faith, a covenantal faith, uh, then our children are not going to get it. And so those are the reasons why I say that this is a great book going into it. We're going to set up the scene so that we, we really follow this story. So a lot of... Um, the, the big part of Exodus is narrative, story form, so you just read it like a novel, you visualize it like a movie, it's very exciting, lots of dramatic things. But when you come towards the end, after chapter 20, 
That's where some bits of it becomes law, right? The language of law, casuistic law, you know, you shall do this, don't do that, that sort of thing. And towards the end of the Exodus is where it's a lot of, this is the tabernacle, you have to build it how, you know, how high, how wide. So it gets a bit technical towards the end. Um, but we'll pick up the second part of that, the, the covenant worship part, sometime next year, God willing, if Jesus doesn't come back. So let's, let's set up the story. All right, all started... Uh, because of, you know, the Pharaoh forgot, right? So now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died, but the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, became so numerous that the land was filled with them. So verse 6 and 7 uh, combines the blessing of God in Genesis, in creation, as well as in Genesis 12, where God's promises to Abraham. All of the languages are there. Multiplication, you know, new, uh, numerous offspring, and as well as the land. So it looks as if God's purpose was about to be fulfilled. It's just waiting for the next step. And then we encounter this problem in verse 8. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. So in other words, we now have a king, a pharaoh, who's forgotten Joseph or what Joseph had done to save the, the Egyptians as well as uh, a lot of people in that world. Uh, human beings forget very easily, isn't it? So after a while, these things happen. So that, that generation passed on, and the knowledge of God is not being passed on. Right? Uh, knowledge of God is not being renewed in that sense. But have a look at what this king is thinking about from verse 9. So you try and understand what, 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 what's making this king uneasy. Look, he said to his people, The Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become more numerous, and if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So Pharaoh is talking to his people, Egyptian, uh, you know, and essentially what he's saying is, well, we are the real people who own this land, they are not. They are the Israelites. They are different from us. You know, last week I preached about tribalism. There is a real sense of us and them. Uh, and, and there is a real sense of um, uh, fear, I think it's the word that captures it. All right? These people, are, they, they, they're not like us. Uh, they shouldn't mingle with us. We, we are afraid of them because who knows what they will do. And you, today, in today's context, you could think of people like that where we are very, very afraid uh, of them. And so we, we might be able to understand what's going on here, um, but the logical thing would be for Pharaoh to say, well, they don't belong to us, why don't we just let them go? Um, except that there is a problem here, uh, because the, the Israelites were good workers. Um, so economically, they're a good labor force, but we don't want to grant them citizenship, so what do we do? We just exploit them. We make them work, but not pay them or pay them very little. Um, and the strategy was so that, you know, the hardship is going to cause them to be so miserable that their birth rate declines, etc., etc., except that it didn't happen. Somehow when you work people very hard, they, they multiply. <laughs> Go figure. Um, and so you have this situation where here's this pharaoh that forgotten what... God has done through Joseph. Um, you have a sign of God's faithfulness is about to be fulfilled, but you also have someone now 
who sets himself up as against God's purpose. Right? God's purpose was in the first part of this verse. It's all about blessing. It's all about growth. Uh, and then Pharaoh's agenda is totally opposite that. Pharaoh wants to, to essentially kill uh, and curse and, you know, a- everything that is opposite what God wants. Uh, so already right here, you, you see this setup between two powers that's going to come head to head later on. Uh, so that's happening, you know, in the broader, broader picture. Chapter 2 then zone in to this one person who is going to be chosen by God to become God's instrument, right, to bring about his salvation. Uh, so the story begins with the woman who gave birth to a child uh, and courageously then decide to keep the child for three months. Uh, and eventually, this, after a while, it's a bit hard to hide the child, place the child in a basket and place him down the now, uh, the river now. And as God would have it, Moses was rescued and subsequently adopted by the princess. Uh, and so you could see God at work here, all right, even though, well, you don't see the name of God mentioned here, but you can see that God sovereignly and providentially provided for Moses. Um, and if you look at the whole story of Moses from chapter 2, Moses is from both cultures. Um, someone once described, a commentator once des- uh, described Moses as the first third culture kid. You know what the culture kid is? You know, you're kind of neither from the host culture or not the, the recipient culture. You're just kind of in this, in this third thing, right? Um, and so Moses was, uh, uh, you know, ethnically, ethnically he's Hebrew. He, he realizes that. That's why he went and intervened uh, when the Egyptian oppresses the, the, the Hebrew slaves. Uh, he also culturally is Egyptian, right? Later on, um, uh, the daughters of uh, uh, Ru, I was going to say, well, an Egyptian saver. So he kind of has that Egyptian thing. And yet when chapter 2 finishes, he's neither. Right? He's rejected by the Jews and hunted uh, by the Egyptian. And he became a refugee. You know, that, that's who he is. By the end of chapter 3, he's a nobody. He's displaced. And the naming of his son confirms his kind of insight as to who he is. And so when you kind of put it all together, you know, that's the story that's being set up. Pharaoh had forgotten about Joseph. Pharaoh is bent on destroying God's people. God's people has forgotten about the promises of God, you know. Um, Moses taking things into his own hands, you know, three times we see him do that, that uh, did that. Uh, first, you know, when he tried to intervene, well, he killed the Egyptian, then he intervened between um, the two Hebrew soldiers. That's the sort of person he is, right? He, he kind of jumps in and rescue. Uh, he rescued the, uh, the, the, the girl, the women from the shepherd. You know, he's the kind of person that he is. And yet, by the time you come to chapter 3, which is next Sunday, he's lost all of that, right? He's kind of the passive guy. God say go, he say no. Um, not quite... Chapter 2, chapter 2, you still see Moses pretty much um, taking uh, the initiative. I think, in one sense, this is God preparing Moses. Sometimes he, he does need to kind of learn these lessons. Uh, and 
really become dependent fully on God. Right? That's the beginning of the journey for Moses. We shall see more of that. And chapter 2 really finishes with more bad news. So the king died and the situation got worse. And the people cry out to God and their cry to God was heard. Right? The, the Israelites groaned in their slavery. Their cry for help because of the slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant. I often think about this verse. Um, it's a fascinating verse, for example, when it says, and God remember his covenant. Uh, you sometimes think that God went, oops, oh, by the way, yeah, yeah, I did say this. Uh, you know, it's not as if God forgot his appointment and then he kind of rushed in and said, yep, now it's time for me to save them. We saw from chapter 1 and 2 that God has already been intervening, right? So how are we meant to understand this verse that God remembered his covenant, right? And God looked on the Israelite and was concerned about them. Well, God has been concerned about them. We know that, right, from the text. I think the best way to understand this thing is that God hasn't forgotten, right, but he brought it to his intention now to want to fulfill his purpose now, right? God remember and say, look, this is the time. Now is the time, right, for me to fulfill my promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's going to be the phrase, right, the three patriarchs. You're going to keep coming back to that, uh, these three names next Sunday. Uh, as we come to chapter 3, God constantly references himself to say, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God looked on the Israelite and was concerned about them. Um, so that's kind of the scene being set up until we reach chapter 3, when God reveals himself uh, to Moses. Uh, we've got some time for some questions. If people are wanting to... Ask something, comment. Steph. Um, the word covenant, I think, is important. That you know, uh, sometimes we feel like God is very distant, right? So we always ask the question, "When is God? When bad happens?" Right? And, and we struggle with that. Uh, because, you know, something like uh, the Exodus event doesn't always impact. We don't always see locusts and, you know, hellfire and things like that. Uh, but God is, uh, God is present. Uh, and when the scripture says, and God remembered his covenant, and I think it's meant, to, it's meant as a comfort uh, that here is a God uh, who is not distant. He actually brings to, we are in his mind, so to speak. And so depending on your week, that, that might be a good way to remember that, yeah, God is faithful to his covenant. Uh, next Sunday is going to be where we, we enter into that, where actually God reveals himself. Right? We see tangibly God speaks for the first time in Exodus, and, and you hear what he has to say. Let me pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we, we thank you uh, that uh, life could be hard, but we know that you're sovereignly in control. Give us the courage to obey you, uh, though imperfectly, but give us the courage to step up this week that we might be like the midwives in our little way, obey you 
even though it might get us in trouble or it might be out of favor with people around us. Uh, Father, as we uh, live here, we ask for your grace to be with us, uh, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Amen.